What's up and welcome back to Nostalgia Pod, giving you your weekly look at what's going on in pop culture. My name is Pat Sheehan, joined by my co-host straight out of New York Comic Con, Dave Martinson. How's it going, Doug? How was Comic Con? My 12th year, my friend. Uh, wow. They all blend together. They're all good. Um, stumbled across Robert Kirkman, the creator of The Walking Dead, just kind of signing. Like, I wasn't even that big of a line. I was like, well, wait, wait a minute. That's his name. Oh, look, there he is right there. Cool. Chilling. Um, Billy D. Williams was there ah. signing and stuff. So it was uh, Paul Rudd and uh, Tom Hiddleston. Um, didn't see them. Uh, yeah, you know, it's, uh, it's a good time. Good time. Uh, big Watchmen presence there. They had a panel. Didn't go. Um, <laughs> what else is pro? I mean, not a lot of big news really broken out of New York the way like San Diego. We used to talk about San Diego stuff. New York's just kind of more like for the fans and mm-hmm. hanging out and stuff. So, yeah, good time. Cool. Usual. Glad, glad you enjoyed it. Any, uh, any, did you have any discussions or panels or anything like that? No, I'm just hanging out when my brother's walking the show floor, seeing all the various cool things you can buy and see and stuff, you know, digging through the comic crates once in a while, which is always fun, especially mm-hmm. when they're not alphabetizing. You're just randomly looking, looking yeah. through things and like, oh, I'll find something maybe. You know? <laughs> Shouts to uh, L- Little Martinson. Uh, presence on the pod is, is certainly felt from time to time. Uh, and if you if you enjoy Little Martinson's pre- presence on the podcast, give us a subscribe on YouTube and go to soundcloud.com slash nostalgiapod to follow the podcast any way you want to. We got uh, only a couple things to talk about, but I think there's uh, a lot to break down with all of it. And let's start with Danny Brown, Dave. Uh, th- this is an album. Uh, his new album uh, came out this past Friday. You know what I'm saying? Upside down question mark. Um, mm-hmm. It it kind of surprised me because I, I think we, we've we've talked about Danny Brown here and there on the pod, but he had never been somebody that I was really super interested in that I I found particularly uh, for my taste. And then this album really uh, caught my ear. And surprised me. I'm wondering if uh, if you had the same feeling listening to, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So this is definitely like a new uh, new stage, new era for Danny Brown in his career. I would say because uh, his last album, the one we discussed, Atrocity Exhibition, that came out back in uh, 2016. Mm-hmm. It's a while ago, and that's that's definitely like his opus as far as all of his work to go. Super lyrical, super dense. Um, really unique, really raw stuff. And that album, that album rules. I know I had Really Doe, the single with Earl and Kendrick on my uh, top 10 songs of that year list. But now Danny is just, you know, finally more successful and a little older. He was already old. Um, and maybe some of that bite might be gone. But now I think he's just making something really quirky. Like because the production on this album, which is uh, overseen by Q-Tip, who executive produced this, uh, this production's kind of kind of wild. It's all over the place. But Danny Brown has always been able to ride any beat, and uh, that hasn't changed. And his uh, unique nasally flow is still here. So I think this is exactly what most people would want from Danny Brown. You know, it's a quick listen, and I don't think it has the ambition. Doesn't try and accomplish as much as Atrocity Exhibition did, but that's okay. It's, Kind of reminds me of like Denzel Curry following up uh, Taboo mm. with Zoo, you know, a little uh, lower stakes stuff, but still quite high quality, still a lot to dig into. So, oh, yeah, I liked it a lot. Yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting sounding album. You know, you mentioned the production on this is a little all over the place, but he has some really interesting collaborators on this too that I think bring out different sounds, um, including obviously Run the Jewels, you know, the single Three Tears. Uh, oh, yeah which is just a banger of a song. Um, but then you look down the list, uh, Blood Orange on Shine, I think brings his, uh, his trademark sound. I was listening to it and I was like, hmm, this sounds a bit familiar. Uh, the the ambiance in particular of the song. And then when I saw, when I started to hear Dev Hines, and I saw Blood Orange was on the side. I was like, yeah, <laughs> this makes mm-hmm. a lot of sense. But I feel like they, they collabed pretty well. JPEG Mafia on Negro Spiritual, I think adds his influence and is really great. And also, I might say this name wrong, but 
Obong Jr. on Belly of the Beast. Yeah. He made quite the impression. I was not familiar with him. He's a Nigerian artist from the UK. Uh, yeah, you know, sparse guest spots, but I think they go a long way considering it's relatively breezy uh, runtime. Um, you know, it's funny. There's not a lot of samples on You Know What I'm Saying. Trossy Exhibition was very sample heavy, and Danny Brown notoriously paid for all those himself and later remarked that you shouldn't spend 70 grand on samples for an album that no one will purchase. Mm-hmm. So he did not go that route this time, you know? But um, I think what's so cool about the production this time around is that there's just a lot of stuff there, like um, uh, combat at the end, like very obvious horns. And uh, earlier on, there's a, a Savage Nomad, the guitar stands out. And then uh, Best Life, uh, one of the singles, I think the second single, uh, very obvious orchestral like violins and cellos and stuff. So mm-hmm. um, Q-Tip didn't make every beat. He only made a combat and dirty laundry and best life. But you definitely, definitely feels like it was a lot of intent with uh, kind of picking the arrangements this time around, which is cool and uh, probably a lot cheaper. Yeah. And I think Q-Tip's presence is felt throughout because one of the, I guess if I had to pick a style that this falls into, and like you talked about, it's it's a bit all over the place and, and eclectic in, in a good way, but it reminded me a lot of like late 90s hip-hop in, in a sense, or that was at least the, the feeling I, I had throughout it. And I, I think Danny, like you said, he can ride on any beat, but the song that probably stood out to me the most, and we already mentioned some that were great, Three Tears, Savage Nomad, Best Life, Shine, um, theme song. I really, really thought the theme song was a really great song. Um, you know, he, you talk about the, the influence or the way that he, he constructed the songs and how there's little, little flourishes and, and the strings, the trumpet, the xylophone on that song, all just like really, really stand out and make it um, uh, one of the, the songs on this record that I think I, I find most unique. And he just glides over that so beautifully. It's, it's a really great song. Um, I really can't say enough about this, how, how this album surprised me. Cause I, I think if I remember is released back in 2016, I wasn't a big fan. So yeah, much more dense last time for sure. Um, yeah. Uh, interestingly, Danny, this is out on warp records, which is a independent London label. So I would say support Danny Brown if you can, because, uh, definitely goes a longer way. He's not a uh, splitting this up with Atlantic or anything, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I feel like most people at this point probably know Danny Brown or in on Danny oh. Brown, and if they're not, I guess this will be a, a lovely surprise if this was the jumping off point. Um, I'd probably recommend you start with old if you're just getting into Danny Brown. Um, you, you probably know Smoking and Drinking from the Silicon Valley end credits scene <laughs> that oh. one time. Uh, but yeah, uh, Danny Brown's a fantastic artist, and it's great to hear him again because it's been a while. Speaking of fantastic artists, maybe working for a new production company, uh, your guy, Ryan Murphy, dropping his first show for Netflix, uh, you know, they, who famously signed both him and Shonda Rhimes, along with some other creators, to mm-hmm. start making Andy TV Bears. shows. Um, and Ryan Murphy has been uh, connected with Fox and FX, uh, a lot recently you know shows he obviously came up with uh, glee um mm-hmm. uh, and, and nip tuck two shows that er, in er, his early days got popularity but then more recently american horror story pose even 911 yeah um and i mean the guy just puts out shows people want to watch uh and this the show the politician had a uh a lot of anticipation, I think, among people who are tuned into like the theater world and and uh, TV show world, because you had Ben Platt, you know, leading this, Zoe Deutsch um, in it. You're obviously bringing back Jessica Lange, Gwen Paltrow. People were excited for it. Um, Dave, did the politician meet your expectations? It's funny because I don't know if like, I had expectations going in. I was, you know, I've seen some of his stuff. We. I think his best best show was the first season of American Crime Story. Obviously, People vs. OJ. The Emmy certainly agreed. Um, but I haven't been a fan of a lot of a lot of a lot of his work. But I wanted to check it out. You know, the first Murphy Netflix show, as you said, uh, there's a bit of a gravitas. Netflix certainly is prom- promoting it. Um, 
And I found it pretty entertaining the whole time. Only eight episodes, and I ran through it pretty fast. But I think the more you examine it, the more you can poke holes in the show and find problems. But it's just kind of pulpy, soapy stuff that Mm -hmm. Ryan Murphy fans want. So I assume this is going to be very pleasing to all of his fans. But it's not Ryan Murphy doing anything new. And he certainly isn't doing anything risky like he's done, he do a pose. So uh, I guess it just depends what you're looking for. But I, I, I found it entertaining enough. Not in my top 10 or anything, but I, I liked enough of it. Yeah, it's, it's interesting to, um, to, to kind of figure out what exactly they were going for this show because it, it felt like almost an amalgamation of all of Ryan Murphy's previous works, maybe excluding the horror story stuff. Cause I, I get a lot of a, a glee feeling in ways, especially when it's very obvious. They're just like, Oh, we want Ben Platt to sing right here. Like yeah. they're just kind of like putting him in a bar. Michelle this time. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it doesn't always make sense why he's singing like just really random points. Um, <laughs> and then, you, you know, you kind of have the, the feelings of, um, I mean, I guess I haven't watched Pose, but just kind of like the the stylization that Ryan Murphy is known for throughout, you yeah. know, really fancy clothes in this very... It looks really scale. good. It does look really good. And the coloring is is eye-catching. Um, and the, the dramatization of things, like when uh, when Bob Balaban finds out that Gwyneth Paltrow is having an affair and just runs and jumps out the window and you're just kind of like, what the <laughs> fuck? Like, so yeah. ridiculous. Um but I, you know, I I think I found myself a lot of time just feeling like I don't really know how many of these characters I really like. Um, which for a show like Succession, you can get away with because the, the there's just so much there that's intriguing right. and fascinating. But the stakes in this just felt like, yeah. Uh, and then you kind of bring in the mental health side of things throughout, and you're just kind of like, there's a lot to to put together. I don't know right. if they always did it succinctly. Well, the thing about Succession, too, Succession is incredibly well-written. Yeah. This isn't. But the politician has no subtlety at all. No. And even if the characters were more consistent with their decisions and their actions and that made more sense, that was more congruent, it's just really on the nose from the get-go. Like Peyton, Ben Platt's character, is just a blatant rip-off of Tracy Flick from Election, Reese Witherspoon. Yeah. And he's def- as we said, you see the shades of Lee Michelle from Glee. This is Murphy just kind of uh, playing the hits to a certain extent. A lot of familiar material. And, you know, he's, he's cast people he's worked with before, like Jessica Lange and uh, uh, Dylan McDermott. And uh, I think I, I remark right away is, like, is that high school? Like, is that a real high school? Like, I know this, this is supposed to be an affluent neighborhood. A lot of rich kids go to this school somewhere in California, but... That did not look like a school at all to me. Certainly no structure to speak of. I mean, we're a little removed from high school, so what do I know? But uh, that stood out to me. But hey, it was a really nice looking building, so I guess it was fun to shoot there. <laughs> but but none, none of the places look like what they were supposed to be, at least to me, other than maybe like right. the, man, the mansions. But like uh, when Peyton is in the hospital, that hospital room, it, I didn't even know what that was. It was like inside right. of someone's house. Like it was very <laughs> bizarre. Um, yeah, I don't know, it, and I think, I think I felt like there's so much potential, and obviously Ben Platt is the person doing the most heavy lifting here. But like Gwyneth Paltrow, I felt like had, there was potential there to dig more into her and her sacrifice and the decisions she made with her life and her marriage. Um, but they only go skin deep on it, you know, yeah. and. Then you have someone like um, like River, and he, who obviously had serious mental health issues and a lot going on for him. And after he dies, he pretty much just becomes uh, Peyton's inner conscience, you know, throughout the show. Yeah, not really like explored that. much much further. Astrid, I thought there was some Oof. really interesting themes um, in terms of you know her and her relationship with her fan, her parents, and you know, played by January Jones and. Uh, I didn't write the other guy's McDermott. Name. Dylan McDermott, yes. Um, so there was like so much there that they just never really got into. And maybe they will in future seasons. Maybe they're just kind of slow playing it. I, I, I am intrigued for the second season where they leave it off. But 
just didn't do a lot to have enough good faith for me where I'm like, I feel like they can land this and make it a really, really good show. Yeah, I mean, to that point, none of the subplots really landed, felt consequential. I think everything with uh, Infinity uh, was just kind of like a black hole for the show. I just didn't want to be there. I didn't care about the boyfriend either. And Jessica Lange... uh, Wasted. uh, Nana, she, she was so obvious again no subtlety to speak of that you assume we're gonna see her be, be trisha arquette on act like hours before it's officially confirmed to everyone mm-hmm. and like i was like infinity must be faking it like right away and then by the end of the episode the end of the pilot you actually get that told to you and it's like oh okay so now what like mm-hmm. and also i think a lot of these sub and actually it's with Infinity, it's kind of disappointing because I really like Zoe Deutsch. I thought she was incredibly winning and set it up, and I'm very looking forward to seeing her in general. But this uh, just was kind of a weak role, I think, for her. Maybe in the future, in, in season two, she gets to be more herself. We'll see. Uh, but the other, like the other characters, like Peyton's whole 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 clique, his uh, administration to be, as it were, they were all super archetypal, one one note not flushed out at all. So I just didn't really care when they each got their little subplots later on, you know? Yeah. And like on one hand, like James, James is a trans, a trans character. That's not addressed at all. Great thing to see, but it's also Murphy. He's made pose. So I guess it coming from him maybe doesn't mean as much, but that's nice to normalize that more. Uh, But I just didn't really think you gave enough to warrant so much diverting from this main plot line, which was Peyton and you could have explored more about how Peyton was really, uh, I don't know, a little out of his mind. And like, yes, he has a breakdown and he's in the hospital. And then by the, the very jarring final episode where we're, it's almost like the beginning of a new season already. Right. Where he has an alcohol problem now and just lost his purpose until the end. Like, uh, it just, I think it just tried to be like all things to all people and just kind of failed to be many really things anything. to anyone except Murphy heads. Um, right. But to your point about season two, Judith Knight and Bette Midler show up. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, I'm in. Granted, Peyton can't actually run for state Senate until he lives in the state for five years. We know he's from California, so uh, that's not actually realistic, but who cares? But yeah, <laughs> um, the lack of subtlety, for things was pretty dis- pretty disappointing. Like I think the best episode for me was that one, like almost bottle episode where every uh, Astrid and Peyton are campaigning, and it focuses yeah. on the the one Elliot. apathetic kid who likes to jerk off all the time. That was fantastic. <laughs> that was really well done. Yeah. Um, but in the middle of that, you have like talk about student IDs, which is just a blatant rip off, like voter fraud mm-hmm. and stuff. And there's again, there's no subtlety. There's no comment coming. So. It just kind of feels uh, amateur to me. But uh, overall, that was the best episode, in my opinion. I, I totally agree. I, I had that written down that um, what I liked most about that was how it really highlighted the absurdity of the race. Um, because I, I feel like for so much of the show, I was just like, where the hell would this actually be happening? Like, what <laughs> in what school would it be this intense and this ridiculous? Like, this ridiculous? And like, Obviously, it's dramatized the TV show, but it was so out there. I was like, how are other people not like, what is happening with this, you know, high school presidential race? And they do comment on it sometimes, like they're doing the, the investigation. They say, hey have, hey, have you looked at Peyton? They, she was running against him. Like maybe he kidnapped her and like, you know, this, he, it's not a normal thing. Like they, they do comment on it at times, but I like seeing Elliot's perspective. because then I was like, okay, like the show maybe feels a tiny bit more grounded or at least like yeah they, they realize how absurd it is so uh, i don't know i'm definitely in for a second season though i think just the uh the concept is really awesome like you know having a different race every single season i guess they're supposed to do this right. like two or three seasons is a really great way to structure a show um i just hope that they can make the race and like that plot a little bit more intriguing and build it out more yeah. and maybe pick and choose where they want to focus the commentary on. Yeah. Having like the new dirt on um, yeah. the new opponent being like a, like a, a thruple, a threesome, like that's it. All right, <laughs> fine. Whatever. Um, right. Shout out the uh, I- uh, intro sequence. though. I thought that looked great mm-hmm. uh, in the age of skip intro. Most people don't appreciate that stuff anymore, but that looked really cool. 
Um, yeah, it's uh, it's 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 just okay. <laughs> well, why don't we move from the politician to Joker? He doesn't have uh, any politics. No politics with this guy. Um, so there's a, there's a lot to get into with Joker, and it's kind of hard to mm-hmm. pick the right the right place to start. We've been hyping or been hyped for this movie for a while now, at least from the beginning of the year. Um, yeah, ever since great. that first trailer. Yeah, and you know when when it was announced Todd Phillips was doing this, and that Phoenix was the choice. I mean, I think originally DiCaprio was a tat was a theorizer or, or rumored to be uh, wanted for the role. And then ended up being Phoenix. We, I think we expected that this movie was going to be dark, you know, and that this mm-hmm. was going to be a real look at um, a, a very messed up person, uh, a, a, you know, fictional person, obviously, but a messed up person. And I think they made the right choice. Cause if there's one place to start with a positive with this movie and there's i mean there's a lot to talk about it's an amazing film i think and just looks great um gripping story phoenix's performance to me is the story um and there's obviously the the political and social aspects that we'll get into but i wanted to start do you feel like phoenix in this role is the best performance of his career oh i hadn't thought of that um it's a very showy performance from Joaquin, which you feel like is almost easy for him. An actor that can really mm-hmm. communicate damn near anything, as we've seen in his career. And it was funny, as you're saying, Joaquin signing on for this role was kind of the early flag that this, is, this movie Joker is different than everything before. Because remember, Joaquin turned down Doctor Strange. Mm-hmm. He was not interested in the studio system, the franchisation of things, which is probably why you can write off any kind of sequel. If there is any kind of sequel, Joaquin ain't coming. (laughs) But having, and and again, like the weird combo of him and Todd Phillips was always like, oh, Todd Phillips of all people got Joaquin to do something comic related. Fascinating. And we'll get into Mm -hmm. Todd Phillips more. But yeah, you know, I'm trying to think of my favorite roles is off, off the rip. You know, I think the master... Yeah, it's probably his best role. You know, he's never won any of his Oscar, any Oscars, right? He didn't win for Walk the Line. Um, he's been nominated a few times. He didn't win for the Master. Mm-hmm. Um, I always really liked Commodus in Gladiator, supporting role. Such a little but, bitch. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Great thumbs down. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, he has so much to do. He carries every scene, you know. So mm-hmm. in terms of like this, the gravity of performance carrying a movie. Yeah, this 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 might be it. Yeah, it's it's probably between that and the master for me. I also really liked his performance in her, but it's such a subdued performance. Right. Um, and and in a sense, I feel like the the Joker is kind of like you know talking about Ryan Murphy mashing all of his shows together for the politician. It's kind of like he took his character from You Were Never Really There, and then yes. her, and also the master, and just kind of like mashed them all together to make this <laughs> sad, crazy. Um, dangerous person and um, it's it's interesting to think about the Joker in this way because right the last time we saw the Joker in a movie it was Jared Leto and oh, oh yeah <laughs> very very famously that has been panned by a lot of people some people Damaged. really like the role right but it was it was almost too in your face and especially yeah. after I liked some of his choices but yeah well, especially after Ledger, who you know right. won the Academy Award for his performance, obviously posthumously, but it was such a subtle performance, and you knew very little about the Joker, and that's what made it so intriguing and that character so gripping. Is everything he did, you didn't know really what his motivations are. There really weren't any. He he mm-hmm. laid that out there. Agent of Chaos, right? And he would tell these stories, and in those moments, it was like. What, you don't know what, what is actually going on with this person. That's what makes them so terrifying. This is a look at the Joker where it pretty clearly explains how this villain came to be. And it's it's a very empathetic look at the character, which mm-hmm. is interesting because... Which some people are not a fan of. <laughs> right. And that's, that's, I think, where we can kind of get into the social commentary. But um, I thought the movie as a whole is really really good 
Um, it's probably in my top 10, uh, maybe even top five for the year. Cause there were maybe one or two moments where I felt like it slowed a little bit and I was like, Hmm, where's this going to pick back up? But the first, like the first 30, 40 minutes I thought were absolutely awesome and not even a comic book movie, just like a taxi driver esque look at the 1980s and, and the issues kind of going on New York city, obviously portrayed in Gotham. And then the, the third act was just absolutely edge of my seat. Like couldn't believe what I was watching. I thought right. it was that good. Um, how did you feel about the movie in general before we get into the, the bigger picture stuff? Yeah. So I, I also really, really liked the movie. Um, it, it's a fascinating movie to talk about for so many reasons, which I think really helps the help its case, but it's super compelling and it, and it looks great. The performance is awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what really stuck to me early on is, you know, Todd Phillips, who we'll get to, you know, come from a comedy career, but I mean, Lauren Shear's cinematography is just very reminiscent of what's influenced by this movie. Mean Streets, Taxi yeah. Driver, you know, early, early Scorsese. And Max Friedberg's production design, who he worked on Beale Street, um, is superb. This just looks like late 70s New York City. Yeah. It, it looks incredible, you know? And when we knew going in that this is going to be like a king of comedy uh, take, we've heard the director bullshit before. Winter Soldier is Parallax View and all, all that bullshit that we hear about franchise movies. This is like the, really the first time where one of these uh, IP-driven movies is really actually inspired by like, you know, Hall of Fame cinema of the past, to use a Scorsese term. And I think that that, that just really, really stands out. It's really funny. One of those drone shots uh, of the train I'm like, oh, well, that's just the Bronx. That's cool. You know, right. it looks so much like New York. I know anyone who's been in New York City recognizes those kind of overhead, above ground subway platforms that some of the scenes are on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but every, every scene in a room is so immaculate, you know, like the clown um, locker room and yep. uh, Flex uh, house, his, his mom's house, whatever. Uh, mm-hmm. Everything is just so detailed. And you just don't kind of get that anything traditional. And, um, I think the reason I like the movie so much is it really kind of it could exist without any of the uh, Batman universe trappings. This yeah. doesn't have to be a guy called Joker. Uh, Thomas Wayne could be someone else. Bruce Wayne didn't have to be in this. Obviously, the scene with the Waynes getting murdered, the classic crime alley scene, that didn't have to be in this movie at all. The movie completely still works. Mm-hmm. And that's fascinating to me. And maybe that's the the future where directors see this is their way to actually make stuff at scale is by dressing it up in clown paint or whatever, whatever it may be down the line. Uh, now what, what that means for, for movies, I don't think you should hold that against Joker. I th- yeah, the movie itself just uh, on its own uh, is really strong and really compelling. And uh, it's not the most comfortable watch. That's for sure. No. Um, you know, it's uh, a pretty blatant look at a guy with some serious mental illness. You know, it's a sick, mm-hmm. sick man. And eventually starts doing some very depraved shit. So it's not 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 fun, but uh, it's really great. Yeah, and I think where Phoenix really shines in this is, I mean, obviously he carries each scene dialogue-wise, but what he does with his physical presence on the screen yeah. is, I mean, it, just from the get-go, the first shot is him obviously very depressed and down and using his fingers to like rip his mouth into a smile and it kind and there's a tear coming down and it's just like this whole it really sets the the tone for the movie right off the bat and then you have a lot of shots where he's like shirtless and like yeah. either dancing or Lost like 50 pounds yeah and he, look, looking like uh christian bale from the the machinist in this movie mm-hmm. and the way that todd phillips shoots him from like the the top down on his back and like his the way his like muscles are like moving and like his rib cage sticks out it's it's very creepy and it, the way he dances especially after that that first killing scene which i thought was one of the most interestingly shot and lighted scenes i can remember like the way it would go through the tunnels at certain points and the lights mm-hmm. would flicker on and off and then you'd see him like shoot it was almost like watching like an old film really mm-hmm. um it was it was just fascinating and that that dancing scene in the uh in the stall or in the bathroom afterwards right. really i think highlights 
that character shift and does it so beautifully and the way he just moves his body it's like oh like it's it's creepy but at the same time like mesmerizing and right uh, i think that portrays a lot of what phoenix did with this character so well what what were some scenes or specific moments from the movie that really stood out to you yeah definitely the definitely the the finance bro deaths on yep. subway as you just said um everything at murray's show in act three of course i mean at that point the uh the tension is really high but i think that looked good and that, that really worked well and you know there's not a whole lot of violence in the movie but when you do get it um you know this rapid ultra violence it's um really striking um i mean everything at the end i think you know once uh flex kind of realizing what he's accomplished you know mm-hmm. um I, th- I like the whole the whole chase scene at the end with uh bill camp and shay wiggum the detectives chasing him down yeah and then getting like stopped by the mob in the subway um like you know again not 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 a enjoyable thing to see but uh still good uh let's see you know i'm trying to think this because everything in the movie is very atmospheric and nothing really feels like it's like wasted scenes, wasted material. Everything's kind of serving the purpose. Um, I think if you want to be more critical, maybe we could have gotten in the head of Fleck a little bit more. You know, That's Fleck, uh, it is. But the thing is, like, Fleck, as he says to Murray, he doesn't, like, have any, like, really views. Or at least he doesn't think he does until he starts, you know, ranting at the end. But we never really see him express any kind of, like, any kind of anything really he doesn't really make any observations about the world or his circumstance until we start seeing this kind of lash out um but i mean i like brian tyree henry you know he he's he's so good that having him do something subtle at arkham like that awesome you know also the thomas wayne scene at the uh, like the theater mm-hmm. um i thought they were kind of setting that up to be super obvious about him being the one who kills um batman's dad you know um, like um, Jack Nicholson in 19 and Tim Burton's Batman, but uh, they fake you out with that, just like they fake yeah. you out with um, Flex Mom not yeah. actually having an affair with Thomas Wayne and actually being kind of the cause of all of Flex misfortune. Um, I really like those fake outs. I thought they are pretty subtle um, and also good red herrings at the end. Um, and like, again, we didn't need all this Batman stuff, but I think the way they weaved in uh, the Waynes uh, was pretty effective. Yeah, talking about the storytelling, I I think that's where Phillips, uh, who like I thought was masterful with this movie, really impressed me the most because in the first half of the movie he builds up who you think this character is, and the second half is basically just tearing each pillar of this person's reality slowly. You know, taking away his his medication um, and his mental health support, taking away his identity, um, his relationships with his family. The only stable things he felt like he had that he could really lean on and believe in are all a lie to him. And then it kind of culminates with the scene where he's in Zazie Beetz's apartment. Yeah. Um, and you, you realize that she's like, you're in the wrong apartment, that they hadn't had this ongoing relationship he had fantasized about, which it, there were signs that that wasn't, probably wasn't real anyway or it seemed odd that they would have this connection but man that that whole turn and then leading to him murdering obviously the the guy who gave him the gun in the clown locker room yep. and glad Fleischer. yeah just and the supporting cast just real quick just the people you've mentioned uh glenn fleischer um zazzy beats mm-hmm. uh bill camp shay wiggum uh, brian T- tyree henry just Mark Marin. Yeah, could you have like a better I mean and fucking Robert De Niro. Like what a what a goddamn supporting cast. Um yeah, man. I, there's so much about this movie I thought was great. It's it's definitely one of the best of the year in my opinion. Interestingly, it has like a 70% rotten tomato score, 92% audience score. So hmm. uh, a big difference between I think where critics are are putting it and saying it's a I think that a lot of where the negative criticism has come from is around the social uh, right. aspects of the movie. Um, did you have a security guard in your theater? Nope. I, uh, I went at four o'clock though on okay. Thursday, the earliest showings they had. So maybe later, who knows? I went Friday at seven and there was a security guard patrolling my theater, which 
wasn't totally full, but it was, it was off putting. And I think that Mm -hmm. there's a lot of fear and hysteria around. Yeah. What's a lot of smoke could be doing. What what are your takes on that? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Well, the thing with the critical reception was coming out of uh, Venice, you know, six weeks ago where this won the golden lion, the top prize at Venice critical reception is very, very positive. And then once it uh, was shown again at TIFF at Toronto, that's where all the neg- a lot of the negative takes started to come through. I think a lot of a lot of people, maybe a lot of fans, I don't know, were expressing thoughts that this movie just was in the pre pre release cycle too long. Mm. And there's the ba- there's the reception, the backlash, the backlash to the backlash. Um, Philip certainly lashed out himself. Uh, <laughs> a lot of things being said. I mean, heck, people are running with. Um, Joaquin snapping at a guy behind the scenes as like him being a diva. And it's like, I think what's our blog on that method acting is messy sometimes like mm-hmm. end blog, like we're good. Okay. <laughs> Relax. Uh, but yeah, we just talked about the hunt like a month ago, the universal movie that was completely shelved for political reasons and universal just kind of backing, backing off. Yeah. Um, art, video games, movies, music, whatever it is, there's no tangible link to it directly causing violence, crime or anything, right? So why is we treating Joker any differently? I right. just don't understand why people are taking taking it one way this time and not the other times. Now you understand why, of course, because Joker, Fleck in this movie, is a pretty obvious analog for the contemporary helpless white male rage that you see in, you know, incel communities, red pill communities, all right. it's obvious, you know, and I think a lot of people may be a little dissatisfied or off put by this movie and Phillips is because Joker at the end and this movie on its own doesn't really have a point of view. You have, at, I think all this really wraps up in, in act three. You have Joker on the couch talking to Murray and the old woman next to him, uh, says like, oh, you can't say that when he tries says a really off color thing that he thought was funny. I believe it was about murdering the the fi- fibros, right? No, it was uh, the was joke it? was um, knock knock. Who's there? Like uh, your no, it was a drunk driver. Like your son died in a drunk driving accident last night or something like. That. Right. Yes. There you go. And all right, that's a. I was like, okay, that's a very obvious point at um comedy and telling people what they can can't say in the current climate. Okay. Phillips comes from a comedy background. I guess that was logical. Uh, then right after that, uh, you have the whole thing about people not knowing, I think it was for Murray, not knowing how to talk to each other anymore mm-hmm. and how most people aren't animals, you know, and it's like, okay, there's, there's the moderate point of view. Everyone let's calm down. We can come together bipartisan, right? Okay. Another obvious <laughs> thing. And then you have Joker, uh, honestly, doing like some like hard left left politics right about uh killing the rich and, and redistributing wealth and stuff right uh, obviously it's very anar- anarchistic at the end but having a guy who represents the the hard right people exposed to the hard left views it just it, is there a point of view in there i don't think there is and it doesn't need to have one but right. when it's so obviously an, an analogous to a lot of contemporary uh controversial things that people don't like discussing hot button issues i understand people's reservations i think it's stupid to try and boil that down to blame the movie for perhaps inciting anything like i know the fbi had some react uh put out some precautionary uh materials out there but they 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 said the whole time there wasn't any real credible threats going on Mm -hmm. and like i saw the term like clown cell going around like i I don't that's not real yeah no i mean it's it's similar to the conversation that comes up around um, any sort of mass shooting in the idea that media or video games in some way influence what people decide to do. And maybe there have been uh, certain instances where people have mentioned how these things contributed to a perspective. There have been uh, school shootings where the, there have been pictures of the people beforehand with their guns and, and clown right. makeup, things like that. So there's an understandable concern, but does that actually mean that this is going to uh, enhance the likelihood that someone will go out and 
do one of these atrocities? No, it doesn't. And I think you you summarized it well in that final scene. They're really exposing like the the political ideology of this, and being that there's not one, but I think that everybody is so up in arms about everything all the time. It's like you mm-hmm. really can't hear anything anyone's saying. Um, however, I I I think that the um, I think that the point that's driven home most to me in this is the idea that. Uh, people don't want to see things that make them feel uncomfortable at times. And, you know, we've talked about how um, art in some ways can be uh, still artful and also offensive, or it can just be offensive um, and for, for shock value, you know, thinking back to a lot of the the comedy specials we've talked about recently on this pod, like Bill Burr or Aziz Ansari and how those things are handled. And I think, Phillips actually handles this fairly well in the, in this, like you said, because he doesn't seem to pick a side. He seems to incite a lot of different um, trouble in ideologies right now. Um, And he does it in a really artful way that I think doesn't really leave you feeling like he's trying to go one way or the other, but just to make you think about it. Um, And in the end, anarchy is what wins out. And that's what the Joker as a character has always been is just, doing shit to fuck with Batman uh, or to make other people feel uncomfortable or to incite chaos. And that's right. That's who the character is. So if you came in here thinking this, the Joker is going to have any other standpoint, I think right. you were a little bit confused on what movie you were going into. Right. And I think, Oh, suddenly now the Joker, because it's a little more anal- analogous to the current climate. Oh, now the Joker is going to inspire people. <laughs> like right. we can relax. I think. Yeah. Um, that that you know, final shot, by the way, of him mm-hmm. like on top of the police car and all yeah, around him was with the like, grin, the blood grin. <laughs> that was some crazy like filmmaking right there. Amazing shot. Yeah, absolutely. I love the uh, right before that the window shot. Very mm-hmm. obvious homage to Heath uh, yeah, when he's and, uh, hanging out the cop car, you know, and clicks back his hair in the wind. Uh, awesome little callback there. Yeah. Um, and right before yeah. that, where he grabs the uh, the TV camera and is like talking right into it. Right. Kind of like in the jo- in the, the Dark Knight when he's doing the handheld thing. So right, of course. I like that. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it, be- it begs the question now, like the, the future of this movie. We know uh, we're recording this early in the weekend, so we don't have the f- official uh, numbers yet, but it's expected to go anywhere from, I think, 80 to 95 million opening weekend, which, depending on where that lies, could be a record not only for September, but also for October. Um, obviously, that's very successful, very, very impressive, too, for an R rated movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, super violent. Uh, that's wild. Uh, and DC, uh, Warner Brothers certainly needed that. Uh, that after they had a string of flops throughout the summer, before it too. Um, now the Golden Lion uh, prize at Venice, and Joaquin also won the Venice Acting Prize. Uh, does that pr- uh, proceed us to take us to any Oscar glory? Obviously, the movie's very controversial. So yeah. is Jojo Rabbit. Jojo Rabbit won the TIFF um, audience prize, and, and mm-hmm. Joker was uh, right behind it. Uh, the Golden Lion, the past two years, actually went to Best Picture-nominated movies. Roma, People, Shape of Water. Right. But before that, it hadn't been won since Brokeback Mountain back in 05, speaking of Heath. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know if we can really write that as any kind of bellwether at all, given the yeah. controversy. Uh, I think the best bet is, I think production design is very uh, deserving. Again, that's only five nom categories, so who knows if it gets through, but that would be awesome. But Joaquin is right there. Best actor, yeah. super, super deep with big names, tons of stars. So it's by no means a walk, but Joaquin also someone who has never won and is well-liked by, I think, all kinds of communities and that would be i think that would be great to see it's funny if he did win for joker yeah joker would go down alongside vita corleone as the only character to win twice by two different portrayals obviously Mm. that was de niro and pacino um so who knows about that i think it's way too early to tell i'm curious to see what kind of cycle we have now with the movie out in the general public and assumingly post no violence occurring due to the movie shocking uh, what what happens next? You know, uh, I I agree. I think the interesting thing becomes the uh, the best actor race. I I couldn't see this movie winning best picture. I think oh, I'm just talking about a best picture nom. We didn't yeah. get that. I, I I could see it possibly getting a best picture nom. 
Um, but Phoenix versus DiCaprio versus Driver for Marriage Story. Um, mm -hmm. Also crazy because Driver also has the uh, the Guantanamo Bay cover up film that uh, the report the report that mm -hmm. I feel like he could also get some some buzz right. for. Um, but yeah, it's it feels like it's going to be probably a, a two or three horse race for that. Um, probably some other big names getting nominated. Um, but DiCaprio and honestly, everything with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the further we get away, I feel like just has a better and better shot of cleaning up at the Oscars for what it was and being a Hollywood film. It just feels like it's yeah, I don't know, destined. Also, Todd Phillips uh, yeah. directly going after uh, woke culture and 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 the left. You know, mm -hmm. uh, not the best move to in, uh, engender goodwill for your movie, even if you believe those things and they're. And there's some, if you have some legitimate gripes about the pre-coverage of your movie. Uh, he ain't running. Not running, that's for <laughs> sure. Um, it's too bad. Yeah. I can see, I, I think he could be deserving of a nomination for Best Director. And to think that this was the guy that made Old School, you know, I, I'm here for the gangbang. And then this is the same guy. Amazing story right. that he's come this far. I mean, I just thought it was funny that it's like the reason I left comedy is because of the current climate and how you can tell jokes. I was like, no, bro, it's like, you got to make a movie about the Joker, which was guaranteed money. Yep. That's why you did that. Also, no one saw War Dogs, and no right. one sees comedies in general. That's why you left. Mm -hmm. Anyone who watches movies knows the real reason. Like, to relax. Alan Seppenwall had a great tweet thread where he was making different points about, or right. satirical points about how comedy is bad, and then would post a gif of different comedies right now that are right. getting critical acclaim and are. Uh, excellent so if alan seppin was dunking on you he's a pretty <laughs> yeah. uh, calm guy that's mm -hmm. a, that, that says a lot yeah i mean the joke or not even the joker joker drop the the just joker any mm -hmm. thoughts any last thoughts to wrap it up uh like i said before perhaps this movie is too big of a too indebted to taxi driver and king of comedy mm -hmm. its connections are very obvious it is fascinating that we got something like this inside the loosely defined comic book standard. And I'd be curious to see if we can get anything, you know, I mean, Logan and Deadpool pave the way in a certain extent to this point. Will we see this in the future? Because, you know, Fox, they, they, they're not, they're not making it anymore. They made two of these mm -hmm. DC. I think is our best bet to see more of this kind of stuff because when the hell you expect Marvel to, to upset the MCU? I mean, let's see if blade is rated R first, you know, like right. I just, it's probably going to be a while before we get anything like this. So I, I'm, 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 I have reservations about saying this changes superhero movies forever. It's certainly perhaps the, the least superhero movie that's in the genre to this point. I think that's pretty clear, but uh, I don't think it predicts the future until we see more evidence of everyone being more invested in, these kind of alternative takes on things that are just really uh, window dressing for other movies. If this absolutely crushes at the box office, do you think there's an opportunity or a chance that we'll see a Joker too, or something where it's maybe Batman? Because it seemed like they left a little bit of it open when you see the Waynes get murdered. Um, sure. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, this movie could easily make do venom business 800 plus million million dollars it's pretty i think that's the kind of analog right now full release rated r all that um we're seeing the batman with matt reeves with pattinson's portrayal of batman next 2021 effectively next year i don't know how you can and they, and phillips uh for the whole time whole time was the reason i made a superior movie so it wasn't connected to anything mm -hmm. and when people uh, tease the connection between Pattinson's Batman and this Joker movie. Phillips turned that down, rejected that idea. So if they were to make a connection following the money, um, I assume Phillips is not there. I assume Joaquin is not being the Joker. Perhaps the Joker is a sphere in the background. Maybe you see him shadowy in Arkham. I don't know. But mm -hmm. I think it's really stupid to have two different Batmans that, that close together because that would employ that imp imply that you're getting rid of Pattinson already, which is kind of the whole opposite of the whole point. We're so excited about him because he's such a good right. actor. So I've, maybe that's, what's cool. You know, this movie successfully does tease that and did successfully, mm -hmm. if unnecessarily weave in a Batman origin, a familiar one, but you know, it, it is there. 
maybe down the line, but uh, I, I would say odds are no. Yeah, I, I wouldn't expect it, but man, uh, if there was ever a chance to see Pattinson's Batman and Phoenix's Joker on the screen <laughs> together, I mean, damn, that'd be some crazy yeah. shit. I mean, the other thing is you figured the Batman will be rated PG-13. Right. This was rated R, so it, a lot of hoops to jump through. Uh, did you get the, uh, before your movie, did you get the teaser to Christopher Nolan's Tenet? Yes. The John uh, David Washington? I'm all in. Yeah, I mean, we were all in ever since <laughs> we knew Nolan was making a movie. We saw the cast. The trailer doesn't communicate anything. It's a short teaser. I believe they uh, first started showing this back with Hobbs and Shaw, I think it was, or um, something else in August. So I hadn't seen it until now. Uh, but it's really funny. <laughs> I'm in my theater, there's a guy sitting in front of me. And right after the teaser ends, you know how the for AMC theaters where we go, um, after the trailer ends, there's like a, a, a muted splash screen where it says the title again with the release date and there's no noise. During that like three seconds, the guy down next stairs was like, Oh, 70 millimeter. That's going to be sick. <laughs> and it was very audible, like normal volume. I died. <laughs> that's incredible. Uh, he remarks to his friend, like, ah, we can't see that here, but that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Those film fan, fans, dog. I uh, love it. Oh, that that's incredible. Yeah, I'm all in on Tenet. E- even the teaser, I was like, yes. And with the with the way it's it's shaped, where it's like the the E is backwards, looks like it's going to be some either like time travel type stuff or yep. something going back and forth. Like, give me all the Christopher Nolan. Um, yes, sir. We're going to wrap up there for this week. What do we got next week? So next week we'll talk about uh, the Succession finale, full season two review. Uh, a little late on that, as well as the end of Righteous Gemstones season one. Uh, El Camino, a Breaking Bad movie, Gemini Man, an Ang Lee movie with Will Smith, and the first two episodes of Mr. Robot, the final season. So a lot of shit we really like all at the same time. So going to be a packed pod. So hit that subscribe button. Go to soundcloud.com slash nostalgiapod to find all the ways to catch the podcast. And also give our Nostalgia Best of 2019 playlist on Spotify a follow. We'll see you next week. (laughs) 